This podcast is sponsored by Sky Broadband, the official broadband partner of Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. With average download speeds of 59 megabits per second, Sky Broadband Superfast is perfect for gamers. And where their speed guarantee is standard, you get the speed they promised or your money back. Superfast Broadband, your squad can rely on. Hello, my name is Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Event Podcast. Apple continues to be firing on all cylinders with its third event in two months. This time it's the turn of the Mac, with Apple not only announcing a new processor, the Apple M1, but it's putting it in three models, the MacBook Air, the MacBook Pro and the Mac Mini. Pocket Event's Dan Grabham joins me to discuss the new announcement, what it means for Mac users and how will it affect what we expect from Macs in the future. Meanwhile, Pocket Rick Henderson has been talking to Activision's Vice President of Mobile to find out what makes Call of Duty Mobile the success it is. And to finish it all off, we're back talking Apple with Pocket Britta O'Boyle. Both Britta and I have been playing with the new Apple iPhone 12 mini and Apple iPhone 12 Pro Max, respectively. And we've got plenty of questions for each other. But before we talk iPhone, let's talk Mac, and specifically this new M1. No, not the motorway. Dan, what's happened, and what do we think? So, I mean, this is a this is this is the sort of long-awaited new generation of Mac, isn't it? Um, because we we learned back in June, but it had been rumored for a couple of years really that that Apple was going to leave Intel behind and produce its own processes for the Mac. Um, very similar to the ones, the ARM-based ones that we've seen in the iPhone and the iPad. Um, and it's finally here. The, the the interesting thing is that it, you know, while the processor is is very impressive in terms of its capabilities, you know, eight cores, um, you know, a very powerful graphics unit and, and so on. Um, what's really interesting is that they put it in uh, Macs that are actually very similar to the ones we had already. So it's it's almost like it's a like it's a, a a sort of bump as such a processor bump in 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 terms of what people will experience. You know, the, the theoretically the apps, although it's a, a completely different um, processor to to Intel ones, mm-hmm. theoretically um, apps should still run through a sort of translation um, software um, app that they've they've de- developed. Um, so really, um, users in theory shouldn't see any difference. Although, you know, more power is the is the the bottom line and longer battery life. Now, this is not the first time that Apple have moved from their own processor to Intel, and then now they're moving Intel to back to their own processor. Is there anything we can learn from from the first experience that you think that they will definitely get right or hope to get right this time around? I think um, with the Intel trans- transition, which was in 2005, they had some issues over um, uh, apps that, you know, big name apps from from vendors like Adobe, for example, that were a bit slow to become um, to, to come onto that platform. I don't think they'll have that that this time. I was really I was really surprised, um, although they that, although Apple hinted that Photoshop and Lightroom would be coming soon. Um, I was really surprised they didn't have Adobe on stage in, in inverted commas, um, or or Microsoft, you know, Microsoft are a big, big, big Mac mm. partner with Office, um, and have I'm surprised they didn't have them, you know, present to actually announce that they were going to transition to Apple Silicon as well, um, you know, fairly rapidly. But I I think there'll be some, you know, th- those those names will 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 bring bring their apps on soon. The question is, 
over apps that are sort of more niche. So um, pro level apps that maybe um, people use for for um, certain aspects of um, video processing or game development or anything like that. That actually um, you know aren't aren't sort of everyday apps as such. And it'll be it'll be interesting to see how those those develop on the new platform. And I suppose that this time around, we've obviously got the benefit of the millions, millions of iOS and iPadOS apps that will work on the new system. Uh, I know from talking to Apple that they've told me that developers will be able to turn around and say, no, we're not going to uh, let you have just a straight port from our, you know, our iPhone app onto, onto the Mac. And that if the Mac hasn't got the specific hardware like GPS locator or the need for a rear camera or something like that then again that won't that won't be allowed to come across do you think that's going to be enough you know is there is there enough i suppose that's where they're going to fill all of the gaps in the short term isn't it yeah definitely and i think that is a that is a that is a big bonus for this 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 move definitely i think though that sort of a lot of the everyday apps that we use on our on our iphones won't be on won't be on the Mac either because they'll, you know, things like we, we've heard that Facebook's app, for example, Instagram and Facebook itself aren't, you know, will be will be blocked in terms of, you know, people won't be able to because they because Facebook still want you to use their desktop site. You know, that if you if you're on a Mac, mm. if you're on a desktop, if you haven't desktop experience, they want you to use the desktop desktop um, interface of Facebook because they can obviously market you more ads and, and so on and so forth. So I think there's a lot of commercial aspects to this that actually um, quite a few mobile apps won't be on the platform. But yeah, that's that, that's that, that's definitely a big aspect of it, and it is a it is a bonus. I think one one shame of it is that we didn't get more sort of iOS and iPad type features come onto the Mac. And um, you know, I, I I spoke about this in an opinion piece on the on on the site that you know we didn't have we haven't got eSIM support on the Mac or um, you know, a face ID, for example, that we we might have expected to come to sort of a bit more of a radical redesigned rethinking of the Mac. Um, and certainly touch fits into that as well. We, you know, Apple seem to be stubbornly refusing to put touch on the Mac, um, which is which is an issue, yeah. um, I think, still. But um yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see how it develops and whether we do get new hardware to go with that. I mean I think that's uh, having read your piece, I think and afterwards thinking about it, I think it's that sense of to me, it feels like they decided to. They've got to this point. Obviously, it's a two-year transition. They're launching. It's almost as if they've launched today. What they've is parity with what they had previously. So it's kind of like right. We've got the new platform. We've got the new architecture in place, and all the other stuff. And we've delivered exactly what we've you know what there's, we've haven't taken anything away. But at the same time, we're not adding anything at this moment. It's just kind of like for like, and then. I suspect next year you'll then start to see, and over the next you know couple of years you'll start to see them adding more and more functionality and features once they've got the base level in there because they know they've got a starting point. So, I think you know come twenty twenty five you'll have a MacBook Pro with FaceTime, with GPS, with eSIM, and all the other stuff, and, and maybe it, it will look more like an iPad. But for now, I think they're trying to say that just because you can do it doesn't mean you have to do it. Yeah, and obviously you know there's a big you know for example the macbook air now is foundless isn't it there's no you know they, they've um because 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 the process is so efficient um the the existing intel processors are pretty efficient anyway to be honest but um uh you know that that's an interesting aspect of it as well because that removing some of that cooling technology 
um, from, say, a MacBook Pro, obviously opens up more space for other features. Um, mm. And, you know, that would be interesting to see how those that that knock on effect on the actual design to the device over the next two to three years, I think. Yeah. Still to come, Britta and I talk iPhone 12. <laughs> Whereas the iPhone mini is completely different to that because it's 135 grams, I think. So it's so light. And it, it feels so light. It's, it's actually remarkable when you pick it up because you don't you don't expect it to be as light as it is. And it's, it's lovely in the hand like that. Call of Duty Mobile has been hugely successful since its launch a year ago, having been downloaded more than 300 million times for iOS and Android. In that time, it's added a stack of free content and constant improvements for its rapidly growing community. Our own Rick Henderson caught up with Activision's Vice President of Mobile, Chris Plummer, to find out why it's been such a big hit and to talk about mobile gaming in general. Rick started by asking why Call of Duty has been so popular. I think it's a combination of factors. I mean, first we have this incredible brand that we've been able to deliver sort of its authentic core experience to mobile for the first time ever. So those visceral firefights, the you know, AAA production values, um, just the way the combat feels, the way the weapons feel in your hand, uh, the the maps, the modes, all of those things kind of coming together for the first time on mobile is just something I think the, a huge audience has been waiting for for a long time, and we've finally been able to deliver it. But I think its continued success is really a testament to the live service and the way we've treated the live operation of the game. So if you think about when Call of Duty Mobile first launched and, you know, we had 11 maps. Now we've got 23 multiplayer maps. Um, our Battle Royale map has uh, increased in size by 50%. We went from 200 sort of primary weapons to now over 1,400. And there's, um, you know, we're almost at 200 player uh, playable character types as well, the operators. So the amount of content that we're putting into the game is is keeping it fresh and interesting so if you love that gameplay you know we're refining that you know month after month but we're more importantly adding new experiences new ways to play new content to enjoy and that uh that live cadence is now at a monthly pace which is which is really unprecedented in this genre to have um that kind of a rapid cadence of new and exciting content to play so i think it's that combination of like bringing the authentic call of duty brand um you know into your pocket onto your mobile device in a you know in a completely credible and and sort of uh you know familiar way uh, that kind of meets your expectations and then continue to deliver on that with the live seasons it's those two things that have really made the most of it is it the uh, the collectible nature of all the different content, all the weapons, all the characters that has actually kept people hooked all this time? Well, I think it starts with the core gameplay. You know, I mean, it's the the core gameplay has to be great, and then what the content does is it allows players who are you know really enjoying themselves to kind of express themselves in a deeper way. So you know, you can become you know more invested because you look or present yourself the way you want to. And we we allow a lot of different ways to do that through um, the you know just grinding through our free battle pass or playing through events. But then of course there's lots of uh, you can do the premium pass, and there's other ways you can get even more elaborate um, and wider variety of of expressive content. But all of it is purely expressive, so it's n we never sort of block gameplay. There's no pay to win. 
you know, the core gameplay has to be sacred. So we completely protect that. And really all the, the monetization is about being able to express yourself the way you want in this place that you want to spend time every day with your friends or with your family or people maybe you haven't met before until you got online. Um, this is a place that uh, you can kind of call your own and, and express yourself in the way you look and the, the way your, your weapons look and all of that, your calling cards. I mean, we, we think that's really important to some players and, and that's, uh, you know, that's something that we, we offer to them. Um, it's actually, I've noticed it's become more of a social experience over time. Do you find that players are becoming more social within the game? You've got the new club feature, for example. Yeah, the, you know, the social bond between players is super important. And what's really unique about mobile compared to other platforms is it really is your primary social platform, you know, whether it's, you know, in, in the old days of making phone calls, <laughs> you know, or doing your social networking, um, all of that, you know, happens on your mobile device. So uh, we're trying to lean into that with Call of Duty Mobile. So we see a lot of player to player interaction happening in the game. Um, it's a, it's something we've seen from the very beginning. We've continued to invest in those types of features. We have clan features, we have friends groups. Um, you can invite your friends. It's really cool if, if you see in the main lobby, like if one of your friends is online, you can see it right there from the main lobby screen and you can easily add your friends into the match. And so the club, which is a brand new feature for the anniversary is really trying to take that to the next level. So you know, Call of Duty Mobile is a very intense, action-packed experience. And so, although we have a lot of great social features, at the end of the day, if you want to compete and you want to do well in a match, you know, there's not a lot of time for for chit-chat. Um, so we wanted to provide a space for players to be able to group together, strategize, trade notes, or really just hang out and chat in between their matches. And give you some other activities to do as a context on top of that. So, you know, you can go and sit at the bar and just chat with your friends if you want, or you can walk around and do arcade games or do some of the mini games. You can go onto the club floor, which is really kind of a homage to our uh, anniversary. And so it's very celebratory in nature. Um, and, and these are all things that we're exploring and seeing kind of where, what players like to do the most. And then over time we'll continue to evolve these social features to, to, you know, best suit the needs of our players but we're super excited by the club if you haven't checked it out yet it's uh it, it's it's really cool and you can even take missions almost like a you know uh mmo style uh talk to a character you can talk to uh famous characters from the call of duty universe and they'll direct you out into different parts of the game and then you can collect rewards by doing those missions and so all these things are just different ways to experience the core gameplay of call of duty mobile in a different context um, is it a real boom time for mobile gaming, do you think? Well, I think gaming in general has benefited quite a bit from, you know, the circumstances of the past several months. Uh, mobile's no different. I think what's what's nice about mobile is, you know, it's always the most convenient platform. So, you know, if we can find ways to, you know, access, give players access at the cadence that they want at the, you know, in the times of day or at the intervals that they're looking for, then, you know, that's how you win on mobile because we're competing for people's time on everything else they can do in the world. Um, so it needs to be fun, but it also needs to be convenient. And so that's something that we're always taking a look at. But we've, we've seen, um, you know, a lot of success over the past several months. Um, it's, a, it's a combination of factors. And, you know, we hope to continue that success as we move into next year. 
mean, it, it's one of many formats within the gaming sphere that have really exploded recently. And and is there such a thing now as a gamer, or is pretty much everybody a gamer? <laughs> well, I like to think that everyone is a gamer. You know, there's there's definitely different segments uh, of the population that you know maybe used to play and on another platform and. Now that mobile gaming has gotten to the point where it starts to you know, rival what you remember when you used to play, you know, as, as someone who's kind of, you know, they're, they're busy with their job or their careers or their families and, and maybe haven't played the way they used to. And then they see something like Call of Duty Mobile, like, wow, that looks better than what I remember playing on my whatever system. Um, and they, they give it a shot because, you know, we can, we can give you access to fun entertainment whenever you want. So you don't have to be kicked back in your home theater or uh, in front of your desktop rig or whatever. We, we, we're giving you that kind of convenience. So I think, you know, what mobile has done is it's kind of reintroduced people to gaming. And there's also folks, you know, depending on which part of the world we're talking about, where mobile is the primary platform. And, you know, I think when mobile is the primary platform, there's this in, in immediate comfort and familiarity with, you know, how deep and rich and um, you know and beautiful mobile games have become, and so it's a it's a combination of like these mobile first uh, players and then folks who are kind of re re engaging with mobile because you know it allows them to to do something maybe they haven't had time to do in a while, and then there's the segment that you know plays on all platforms you know and they they're they're gamers and I think though we always need core gamers because they're the evangelists for our our craft you know for our art form uh and they consume you know on all platforms not always the same genres but you know i think the the very savvy gamer is a, a super important part of our ecosystem too is it actually harder to develop for mobile uh, platforms considering that not only are there different formats there's also different devices in each format and those devices can vary widely in specifications and capabilities. Yeah, I think developing on mobile just presents a different set of challenges. So I think it, no matter what platforms you're developing for, there's there's always things about that platform that are difficult and challenging. Um, you mentioned on uh, mobile, there's there's definitely a variety of devices that is can be daunting. And, you know, it's, it's, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, most PC development um, a long time ago where there could be such a, uh, a wide disparity of, of horsepower between different devices that you might support and the kind of difficult decisions you have to make there. And I think on mobile, there's some of that because, you know, there's, there's actually brand new devices that ship today that, that don't necessarily have more power than devices that shipped last year. Um, in all in all categories. So like when a new console comes out, you know, it's going to have more memory, a faster processor, it's just certain things are always going to be more bigger, better. And on mobile, that's just not the case. You know, there's different tiers of devices, there's premium devices, there's entry level devices, there's, you know, different classes of hardware. So you have to be prepared to, to support it all. And so things that are, you know, I think the first person shooter genre and Call of Duty have always had to deal with performance first, because you have to have that kind of buttery smooth gameplay, you know, it needs to feel like the controls are super fluid, you have complete uh, command of your, uh, of the controls and of, of you know, what you're doing in the battle space. These are so important to that kind of Call of Duty feel. And so if performance isn't there, that all falls apart. 
and um, taking that forward into mobile, it's just it's sort of a natural um, kind of point of view to take into successful mobile development. It's like think about performance first. Um, we clearly have the you know the production values as well, but it kind of starts with with caring about the controls and caring about the core gameplay feel and thinking about performance and how that's going to work on different devices. And Call of Duty Mobile runs quite well on on a wide range of devices, so I think we're really proud of that. And of course, we're coming into an era where uh, we're getting gaming phone, actual um, self-proclaimed gaming phones with 120 hertz displays, um, of which COD Mobile um, supports. Um, so does that mean that some players might get an advantage over others? I think that kind of is something you'd have to try, 120 hertz display, and see how that feels compared to something that's running at 60 hertz or even 30, and and, and see, right? It's it's definitely different. Um, you definitely have a, a higher frame rate, and I think that comes with, you know, there's a certain point where there's diminishing returns on sort of how how much, you know, of an advantage, let's say, you have versus just the getting a, getting a feel for how the gameplay you know, feels in your hands and the responsiveness and the controls and stuff. So I think it's a good thing. It's a very good thing that there's, you know, higher refresh displays now and, and the, you know, games that can perform at that, uh, those rates. We're, right now we're not seeing kind of outsized advantage like in, you know, performance of player to player, um, at least not yet. But that's certainly a possibility over time and something we'll, we always take a look at. What other Activision games do you think would lend themselves to mobile well? Well, definitely Call of Duty. <laughs> so, you know, um, you know we, we don't really um, speculate on sort of what our future slate might look like, but, you know, clearly, um, you know, Call of Duty is working really well for us on mobile and something that, you know, we'll continue to, to invest in. Um, you know, uh, we have coming up from King, a Crash Bandicoot game, which is, um, you know, coming along really nicely and, and, and looks like a, a very kind of true to, the IP experience that we think our players are going to enjoy. Um, you know, there'll be more surprises in the future. Um, but, you know, for us, you know, our priorities are really to, you know, make sure that the things that are working, uh, that we continue to, you know, deliver on those, uh, for those players. And, um, and, you know, Call of Duty Mobile is absolutely our, our number one priority. As a, as a company, would Activision ever consider doing mobile-only games, uh, brand-new IPs, just for mobile? Is it that big now? You know, I think we we would always consider any good option. And it's really just, you know, it's hard to speculate without talking about a specific idea, which I wouldn't do probably in this setting. Um, but it's definitely something that, you know, we, we consider when we think about what our future looks like. When Apple launched the iPhone 12 range in October, it announced four models, the iPhone 12 mini, 12, 12 Pro, and 12 Pro Max. The 12 mini and the 12 Pro Max go on sale today, and both Britta and I have been using the phones for the last week. So is the iPhone 12 mini too small or the iPhone 12 Pro Max too big? And what about the battery life or usability? And should you go for either? Lots of questions, but hopefully we're going to answer most, if not all of them, right now. Okay, so let's start. The first question, Britta, is how mini is mini? It, it's pretty mini. Um, it's, well, it, I, we've got an iPhone 7 kicking around the house that I compared it to, and it's smaller than that, um, only fractionally, but it's smaller than that, but then obviously you get the bigger display. So actually it looks, it looks smaller, and it is smaller. Um, 
but it's not so small that you can't do lots on it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we're kind of talking just for those who've been around for a while. Are we talking kind of like iPhone five small? No, it's bigger than that. A little bit bigger than that. Okay, um, so it's not they haven't gone crazy, and it's not like you need little fingers. It's not you know it's for kids or something. It's it's just it's. I mean, who's this for? Why why is it? What what's great about it being small? Well, genuinely, I actually think it's for pretty much anyone to be honest there's um I really enjoyed using it I I was surprised at how much I enjoyed going back to a smaller device um and Mm. Matt tried it my husband tried it um earlier on this afternoon and he said that he absolutely loved it and that he would definitely choose it too so I don't think it's just for women um, I also, I, I think it could be for anybody. I think anybody who would be happy to have a slightly smaller device than the larger ones that maybe don't fit so well in your pocket. Um, so yeah, I think it could be for anyone, anyone who's up for that. Which is very different to the iPhone 12 Pro Max, which I've been reviewing this week. Now, yeah, so how big is that? That's what I want to know. It's without swearing it is enormous um i mean it's that said it's not as because i haven't really been that many places at the moment because obviously in the uk we're in lockdown so it you know i'm not kind of trying to use it on a tube or on the train which is part of the course when you normally use these things when you're testing and, and things like that it is pretty big i mean it the pro the 11 pro max which was last year's version, was yeah. massive, right? And we all acknowledged that it was big. This is the same... They've pretty, it's pretty much the same size shell, same okay. size form factor, but they've made the screen even bigger. So it's now 6.7 inches, which is like almost... Just, it, it's a different aspect ratio, but like when the Nexus 7 tablet came out, that was 7 inches. <laughs> you know, like, do you know what I mean? Mini tablets and all the other stuff. So it's really big. I, I'm surprised because I kind of... There's something in me that would have said that, and I asked Apple about this, but there's something in me that said, well, why don't you just make it the same size screen as the Pro Max, which is 6.5 inches, but then just make everything a little bit smaller, right? So you still get that, you get the best of both of us, don't you? You get this massive screen that yeah. people are used to, and you get a, a device that seemingly has shrunk in size. But they've yeah. just gone, no, big is better, and just we'll just give you more screen. <laughs> <laughs> Which is wonderful when you're watching like a bit Netflix or playing a, a game because it's just gigantic, but it does you know it, it struggles to fit in your pocket, and you know after and and because of it's so big, it's so heavy. It's like two hundred and twenty eight grams, which is forty grams heavier than the Pro Max from last year. And you know, I, I did a twenty minute FaceTime call with a friend of mine in America. We were talking about the election, understandably, and. Um, <laughs> Yeah, a standard with all Americans at the moment. And after about 20 minutes, I was like, dude, I've got to put this phone down. This is just getting too heavy. <laughs> Whereas so, the iPhone mini is completely different to that because it's 135 grams, I think. So it's so light and it, it feels so light. It's, it's actually remarkable when you pick it up because you don't you don't expect it to be as light as it is. And it's, it's lovely in the hand like that. Yeah, so, it's just, I mean, that said, I presume most of this device is battery okay because yeah. and that's probably what adds to the weight because i was getting as i say we've been using it we haven't been like 
traipsing around the country trying to use it so that sometimes affects things obviously we've been watching twitter i wonder why uh <laughs> playing games you know taking sample shots as i'm sure you have with you know your phone doing video 4k video all the other stuff heavy usage it, it you know the battery's not an issue at all average usage so like just using it around the house and all the other stuff i'd go to put it on the charger like just habitually out of habit to put it on the charger and i'm like oh still got 60 percent. maybe i don't need to maybe i don't need to charge it tonight so from that respect i mean just you know the battery um, the battery is large. i suppose for you the battery doesn't last that long because it can't be that big a battery because it's such a small device no it's um the battery is probably one of its few downfalls to be honest the, um if if you're a heavy heavy duty user if you got to the end of the day and you didn't have to put it on charge you're doing pretty well because i i had to charge it every night but then I was testing it every day. So, you know, you have mm. to allow for that a little bit. But um, I think general day to day, you could probably, you'd probably get 20% at the end of the day. So you'd get into right. the next day, but you, you would need to charge it quite early on then, I would say. Yeah, I reckon yeah. for most for most people for the for the Pro Max, I reckon you'd get two days out of this. Like yeah. if you weren't pushing it, you weren't sort of, let's say, I always find apps like Twitter and stuff just destroy the battery. So just and, camera, especially when it's, Te- when you're testing as well and so how was the camera for you on the mini i thought it was great actually i i um i did miss optical um zoom from the telephoto lens that i had on my 11 pro i did miss that a couple of times um but otherwise the the results are amazing like uh, especially in good lighting conditions um they were they were great really sharp lovely colors um i thought and in low light too i thought it did really well so i was really impressed with the with the results from the camera on that one what about you seeing as it yeah I, I mean the camera is fantastic right it's brilliant the big difference i think i noticed is that the it's got a telephoto zoom on it that's different from the 12 pro so you get a five times optical zoom so instead of anybody who's used the 12 pro or the 10s i think it was the 11 and the 10s um you obviously had you know point point five one and then times two uh, now on the Pro Max, you get times 2.5. So it gives you a five times optical range uh, up and down, which just gets you, does get you that little bit closer into the pictures. Um, I think, you know, the picture, let's say, good light, fantastic photos. Low light, it, I mean, we've got to a point now, I think, where my expectations of what the camera should be able to deliver and what it can actually deliver are, are slightly sort of not aligned 100% okay. because I believed through all the marketing hype and all the other stuff that the cameras would be considerably better than they were. Like, like let's go and replace all my DSLRs and all the other stuff. <laughs> we're, we're not there yet. Um, the video performance is really good. You know, 4K HDR, 60 frames a second. I mean, it's, it's pretty crystal clear. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I think what happens is there's so much processing going on. And there's so many, you know, there's, it's almost a dictionary of terms. So you've got deep fusion, haven't you? you've got smart HDR three, you've got night mode, you've got portrait mode. You got Apple Pro Raw. You got all these like buzzwords flying around, and at low light conditions, which is where I try to focus a lot of my uh, samples photography on. And you can go to Pocket Lint to see those pictures. Um, it does starts doing clever things, but sometimes those clever things don't work. So I found I don't know whether you found this. The portrait mode is much better than yeah, uh, than last that. year, which is great. But in low light, the AI starts kicking in, and so what it does is it I noticed it it really makes a focus on your face so there's lots of detail there which is brilliant because that's obviously what you're drawn to and attracted to but then i was wearing a gray uh i'm gonna be fancy now a gray top coat 
Um, <laughs> and that uh, it's like an overcoat. And it's kind of, it, it just the AI just obviously got very confused with this in low light and it just kind of washed it out into big blocky panels. Okay. And likewise, the background, there was, there was some trees behind me and they kind of, it just, it just looks like a, a, a watercolor to a yeah. point. Uh, which is fine because you're kind of focusing on my face which is very clear and and that's great but it's just there is still you know understandably this is a phone after all there are still limitations to what it can do compared to you know a full dslr camera yeah i think portrait mode on on pretty much all phones isn't quite as great as everyone wants it to be especially in low light conditions i did find that the edges of hair and things were, were still not quite there but yeah. definitely, definitely some imp- like huge improvements compared to when it first came out, for sure. And also yeah. from last year as well, which is good. And um, the other thing I've noticed with the 12 Pro and the 12 Pro Max is that it's um, the main wide camera. So that's the one that you use all the time. Yeah. Uh, it's now 1.6. So it, it takes it's quicker to take pictures in lower light. Um and so it doesn't rely on night mode as much. So if you're kind of in that, like the sun's going down, but it's not down yet then you can focus on it and it'll take the picture instantly rather than kicking in going, wait, three seconds, wait, two seconds. Yes, I did find that. I went to Virginia Water and we were there when the sun was just starting to sort of disappear and it it did take photos very quickly and they're beautiful, some of them, um, that it managed to capture the mini. So um, I completely agree with you there. But then they are different they're offering different things and yet they're still both managing to deliver pretty good results which I think is great because it does mean that you don't necessarily compromise hugely by going with the smallest I mean these those these two phones we're talking about are complete opposite ends of the spectrum in in terms of the series aren't they so do you think that the camera do you think that there's enough difference in the cameras to warrant the warrant going bigger if you don't necessarily want a big phone like the person that wants a great camera experience do they have to go for this phone or can they go for the Pro or the 12 or the 12 Mini and still do you, th- you think that they would be happy with the, that result? Now, you see, this is a good thing because when they announce them, and I must admit, I'm going to be very transparent here, I prefer the, the, the 11 Pro or the 12 Pro in that size. It, yes. It's, you know, I'd, I'd really like to try out the Mini that you've got because I think that's great. But yeah, I'm kind of that in that middle marker. And I was worried that there would be that, that jealousy of wanting the 12 max camera system yeah because it would be better and much better than it would be on the on the 12 because they've done this before i think it was on the 7 plus they were like oh look you get you get two cameras and you get image stabilization and you know optical image stabilization and all this stuff uh, the good thing is is that whilst they are better and it is, it is if you start looking you will see the difference but i think for most people they will still be happy with the 12 pro from a camera perspective and not feel like you have to go full size you know that that massive size to get the better cameras yeah that's good because i did i was worried you'd get a bit of fomo by not going for the massive size but i don't want a huge phone that big i, I understand that there's lots of people that do but for me that yeah that phone I, is way too big for me i i would struggle to use that on a day-to-day basis and probably not drop it because it's so heavy <laughs> <laughs> so i think finally to wrap it up then so would you either get the 12 mini or would you recommend it i 100 percent, i would recommend it yeah i can wholeheartedly say that i think it's a brilliant phone um so yes i would recommend it would you recommend the 12 pro max 
I think for the Pro Max, it's, it's that sense of if you want the bigger screen, then yes, but not if you're if you only want, you know, if you're going for the cameras, then the 12 Pro is just as good. Yeah, fair enough. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip pip. This podcast is sponsored by Sky Broadband, the official broadband partner of Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. With average download speeds of 59 megabits per second, Sky Broadband Superfast is perfect for gamers. And where their speed guarantee is standard, you get the speed they promised or your money back. Superfast Broadband, your squad can rely on.